it was a tad uh, ironic or maybe coincidental that we were having some problems with people in the front row not being able to see because of the blinding light yeah. that we did not expect today. Not at all. Um, because that's actually kind of what the passage is about today. Uh, people not quite being able to see. They've got eyes, but sometimes they just don't get it. Sometimes we just don't get it. Sometimes we and, don't. Yeah. And we've seen that with the disciples throughout the book of Mark and, and, and all the gospels. And again, I think it's there not to beat down the disciples, but to encourage you and I. So when we don't get it, we can, we can be encouraged by we their stories don't to, get it just like somebody to do else. a little bit better. But uh, yeah, we're going to be in, in Mark chapter 8. We're going to be going through the first 21 verses. So if you've got your Bibles with us, we want to invite you to open up to that. Uh, we do have some Bibles back on the Grab a Bible table. If you don't have a copy of God's Word and you would like one, you can feel free to walk back there. And then there's some great Bible apps. So if you have your phone out, we won't assume that you're playing Candy Crush or or Pokemon Go, or anything like that, but that you're following along. So, so glad to have you guys here this morning. We'll start reading. Some people can multitask. Some people can. In, in uh, chapter 8, verse 1, in those days when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, sounds familiar, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away, hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. Now, my kids sometimes think that they're hungry enough, Dave, that they're going to faint. Do your kids ever say that? <laughs> have, have they ever? Well, like Cole, my, I don't know if you've met my youngest, but he's, he, they haven't, just no, to say that. I have fainted, but it wasn't really because of hunger. Right. And Noah, my oldest, I could tell you about every time a needle a comes out, too. he faints. Uh, but he would get embarrassed, so I shouldn't do that. But my youngest, Cole, he's we'll 16. Thank you. He's, uh, he's an athlete, and he cannot eat enough. And so I think he feels like he's going to faint because of hunger, uh, but he had just eaten two hours ago, right? I mean, there's dinner, second dinner, dessert. Snack, snack before he goes to bed. But uh, these people have been with uh, Jesus, his disciples, uh, and they're hungry. And we find out this story a little bit different than the last story we went through. Uh, They've been with him three days. Well, yeah, there are are some, if you were with us, what, a couple weeks ago, uh, we went through the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Here's feeding the 4,000. You might think, wait, is that actually the same story and just different counts? No, it seems to be a completely different account. Um, There are some similarities in the stories. There are some differences. One of the major differences is that this seems to be not in Jewish territory. Um, so in those days, um, Jesus is still drawing crowds, but he, he has been around the area of Galilee, and he's still kind of there, um, but not necessarily in the Jewish area. So he's, he's expanding his ministry. He's been traveling around to some of these non-Jewish areas and, um, and preaching the gospel. Yeah, the ministry is well. similar. There's still healing going on. There's gospel message. He's teaching on the kingdom. Right, the kingdom of God coming down. Uh, and, and big surprise, Dave, a large crowd gathers. Everywhere this guy goes, Jesus, people show up. I, I would be so fascinated to know all of what he said over three days. Right? I, I mean, the, the longest recorded speech sermon of Jesus takes about 13 minutes to read the Sermon right. on the it, Mount. It, was, it wasn't just on repeat either. Three, right. I know. Three days. 
Like Normally, we, we have to sugar people up and give them coffee just to make it through a half-hour sermon. If you here. show up, I'm going to give you donuts and your kids' chocolate milk. So come to the Grace Works. No, but you think <laughs> about it. You go to a, you go to a three-day conference. Uh, I don't know how it is for you guys in the in the area. I'm done after like four hours. That's what I mean. Right. I was going to say I don't know what kind of you know in their area of expertise or in their work. But if it's a pastor's conference, I'm wondering like, where's the food? <laughs> where's the food? Right? Where can I go and talk to other pastors? Where can I engage and interact? And if, if there happens to be an evening meeting that we miss because maybe we're going to spend some quality time with some other pastors getting to know each other at a local restaurant, it might happen. I'm going to be honest with you. Three days is a long time. And yet these people were just eating up what Jesus was saying. He was challenging Interesting the choice norm of, words. of the day. I see what you did Eating there. up. You like that? Because they, they the weren't norm. eating anything else. Um, anyway, that, what, I, what I love about this story is, uh, is Jesus' compassion. Right, he is, he is not aloof. He is God, but he is still connected. He understands and knows what people are experiencing and going through. He's not just like, everybody should pay attention to my teaching because I'm God. He's also looking at people and saying, these people aren't going to make it home if, if we don't do they something might for them. Along right? the way. I know, and, but, I, but I just, I love that. I love that about Jesus um, and just, and, and about God in general, that he, he's not distant. Right. He's engaged. He's here. He's uh, knowing and, what our needs are. And I think you pointed out one of the really cool things about this is he's in a Gentile area. We've talked about his love for the Gentiles, his love for those outside, the chosen uh, children of Israel. We've, we've seen healings. We've seen demons being cast out. And here we see teaching and we see compassion. So those who were on the outside of what would have been uh, socially acceptable, right, for the Jews, Jesus was going and he was teaching and he was loving on them and he was healing them and he had compassion on them. These are great words, right? And he wanted to send them home, right, because it's, it's time to be done with this mini conference, but I don't want them to leave because they might faint. So these are some pretty cool uh, facts I think we're seeing early on in this story. It continues on, and his, disciple, his disciples answered him, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. Again, here are some similarities. Um, Jesus is like, we need to feed these people. Um, and uh, the disciples are like, how? That seems impossible. Now, right? now, the first time, right, the first time before Jesus fed 5,000 or you know, 15, 20,000, whatever, whatever the number was, I can totally understand the disciples being like, this seems like a big task, right? Like we, we have very small pieces of bread to give out if we have to split these between thousands of people. Here's a crumb for you, a crumb for you. It's like Oprah, you know, crumb for you. Crumb, crumb for everybody. Crumb for every- <laughs> but the second time, right? The second time he's just done this. And their response is, oh, that seems like an impossible task, right? And I, Again, I, I think your point at the beginning was, was so spot on. Looking, looking at the disciples' actions is not about, oh, they're so foolish. It's, oh, wait a minute. How am I like that? And really, to be fair to the disciples, uh, as their, their understanding of, Jesus, uh, of who Jesus is and how he works, um, he's a, a miracle worker 
right? But he's not a vending machine, right? So they don't want to necessarily keep coming to him with all these problems. They want to try to help. They want to try to take care of, uh, of, of what's, what they can do, right? Just because they've seen him walk on the water once doesn't mean he's going to walk on the water every single time he goes down to the water. Right. He still takes boats. Exactly. Uh, just because he turned water into wine, doesn't mean that every time they sit down at the dinner table, if all they have to drink is water, that he's going to change it into wine, right? So they're not going to assume that he's just going to do something because he's done it before. So I want to make sure that we understand we we don't want to be too hard on these disciples. We want to see them grow. We want to see them understand, but we need to be careful. Because remember, the unbelievers, the Pharisees, the scribes, those who were against Jesus were actually the ones that were asking for the signs. Yeah, we'll get sign, into that in this passage, sign, in fact. sign. They wanted signs, Dave. And, and so the disciples, again, wanted to believe Jesus, understand who he was, and not be like the Pharisees. And yet, it is really easy to focus on the problem, mm-hmm. right? You look, you look at a situation, and rather than seeing it as an opportunity, you see it as a problem. Uh, that was one of the things in a, in a book that I read talking about conflict, um, and one of, the, one of the profound statements this author made was that conflict is an opportunity. Well, I, never, I never saw, I still have trouble seeing conflict as an opportunity, but I never, it never really crossed my mind that, yeah, conflict is an opportunity to show God's grace and glory and what he can do through this work. Again, same thing here. We have a physical situation. We have an issue and the disciples are, are stuck on this being a problem instead of an opportunity um, to see God's glory. Well, and I think that we do that too, brothers and sisters. That is our temptation. When we see a problem, when we see an issue, we see that. That's what's right in front of us. And to be fair, I'm just like you in that. I mean, if it's a health issue or whatever it might be, and yet God wants us to see it as an opportunity to grow. Right? He wants us to see whatever that is in our lives as an opportunity to trust in his plan. Huge, huge mindset shift, though. Um, as we continue on in the story, uh, he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. Now, there's just a couple quick things we want to point out here in these few verses. One, they're talking about the green grass. Uh, again, last time uh, when he fed the 5,000 men, so 10 to 15, 20,000 people, there wasn't necessarily uh, any, any uh, notes from Mark pointing towards a particular time. So again, we see that as a little bit of a difference here, probably talks, talking about a different time of year. Uh, and then we see that Jesus took the loaves and he gave thanks. He prayed. He, he, he communicated with God the Father. Again, giving an example to his disciples and a, an example to the people. And then he found out that he had some small fish, some sardines. How many of you guys like sardines, right? These are, these are pretty tiny fish. I don't know that I do necessarily. I was just raising my hand to try to get Good thing we have them that. as a snack. That's what the, <laughs> right, that's that's what the pre-K is Oh, just pre-K. Kidding. Well, so he, he takes these small fish, right? And he starts blessing those also. Jesus is going to take care of these people. And it's exciting to see that. It says that once this had happened, once he had broken the bread, once he had broken the fish, he, it says that they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. 
And there were about 4,000 people. He sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples. And they went to the district of Dalmanutha. Okay? So he feeds everybody. And there's extra. That's a similarity. Uh, with the with the last account, completely uh, satisfied. Some some different numbers, but leftovers, right? That that speaks to God's character. He loves to provide and provide abundantly, more than enough. And so, even even just a little bit of bread, a little bit of fish. I would still love to know exactly logistically how that worked. That would be so cool to see. Um, and I would love to do that with things like cheesecake or oh yeah steak right a little bread a lot of people fed and in our lives a little faith you can move a mountain right i mean it doesn't take a lot i've heard that when it's in when it's in god's hands and i think that's what he's showing us here um but again that's the satisfaction uh, that can be found in jesus is over over and above well, last week we talked we about need. finding our sufficiency and our satisfaction in Jesus Christ, right? And so the, the, the storyline, the theme continues on here in Mark. That's what we see. It's story after story. We see Jesus as God. We see him worthy. We see his faithfulness. And it's not necessarily that we can take this as a literal promise that, that no one who has faith in Jesus will ever suffer from hunger, will ever suffer from hard times, Um, and yet the character of God is one of a provider, one of someone who satisfies uh, the most important thing, which is our soul, and also is generally pleased to satisfy uh, our physical and emotional and other needs as well. Um, So see, he he doesn't walk in the water. He gets in another boat, um, heads back to another area, Um, It seems like it was uh, in Jewish territory, we don't know exactly, Um, but considering who he runs into or who comes to meet him uh, at this next place, it seems like he would be back in in that territory. Uh, It says, the Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Jesus is abruptly confronted again by the Pharisees. We, we start to see this pattern forming, taking place, right? It, it, it's sad, but it's familiar now. This, this, as soon as Jesus shows up, if the scribes are around, the Pharisees, those who were, were afraid of what Jesus was teaching the people, they would come in uh, and they would confront Jesus in a way. So they've seen the miracles. They've heard of the miracles. They've witnessed his teaching, a, a teaching with authority. And yet their hearts remained unchanged. Their minds were made up. It, it went against their way of life. And, and their minds uh, weren't being changed by anything that he said. And so every time Jesus showed up, they would come out in full force to be against him. Uh, they, they said, I'm not going to let the facts of these miracles or what Jesus is teaching and, and that information change who I am. Well, how often do we, do we do that? You watch the news and whatever your political preference is, maybe whatever you see on the news is going to back up the way that you think. Right? I mean, we just we do this in so many areas of life where we are convinced of a certain way and it's really tough for us to change. And so, again, 
people who are expecting one thing and Jesus comes as something that they're not expecting, it is really difficult to change your mindset. Yeah, and the, the, the Pharisees, the scribes who were coming against him, they were challenging him. Jesus didn't run from them. He didn't tell them to be quiet and go to the back. He engaged with them. They just didn't like what he was saying. They weren't changed by anything that he uh, was teaching. And, and so here they raise the stakes, it, it demanding, it says here, a sign from heaven to test him. And my question would be, what other sign was needed. Right. What you've seen so many things already. Right. I mean, Isaiah chapter 35 talks about the, the blind seeing the lame being made to walk as this, as this, you know, picture of the future for Israel. That's exactly what Jesus was doing. Earlier, uh, Mark recounts stories of Jesus healing blind men, uh, mute men, uh, healing people, uh, making people walk. I mean, this is what he's doing already. And so what is it that they're looking for? Yeah, they're hoping to discredit him in front of the people that he is teaching. Uh, one, of the, one of the quotes I read this week, it says, it's one thing to put the Lord to a test in faith, right? To lay out your fleece or whatever. But it's quite another thing to test him in unbelief. And that's where the Pharisees were. They didn't believe. They didn't trust. They didn't want. And they continued to go after Jesus just in a really aggressive way. And his response is to sigh. Again, this is the second time that, that Mark uh, describes this response by Jesus. It seems like the first was more an empathetic um, sigh, just a, a, just a heavy weight of the effects of sin in this world. And I guess one could say the same about this sigh as well, um, only it's, it's A hint of frustration? As, oh, I, I would think so. I mean, God is a person, right? Jesus is a person. He experiences uh, emotion and, and everything else. And so, yeah, it would be frustrating to, to hear this over and over again. Yeah, well, but, but prove yourself. Like, prove yourself more. Well, and that's where Jesus goes. He says, why does this generation seek a sign? And everything that Dave has already said, that you've seen what I've done, you've heard what I've said, you have the Torah, Isaiah, pointing towards me and the things that I would be doing. You know this because you're the religious leaders of the day, points towards my coming. You have every sign that you need that I am the Messiah, and yet you ask for another sign. And so he leaves. (laughs) He says, you're not, you're not going to get what you think you want, um, and he leaves. We get into, again, the Bible is funny. I mean, it, re- it really is if you, if you look at these situations. Uh, we get into kind of a humorous situation with the disciples again on the boat. It says, now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. Wait a second. Didn't they just have seven they baskets, like seven of, baskets leftovers of leftovers within the last day or so? Where is that bread right now? Peter doesn't eat leftovers, and so, no, I don't know. Um, and, uh, and he cautioned them, saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. <laughs> it's, easy, it's so easy to see this as it's written out, as Mark retells the story. It's so easy to see that the disciples just 
missed the boat. Right. No pun but, intended. But Jesus wants to use this as a teachable moment, he does. which I love because when he uses these moments as teachable moments for his disciples, that means he's teaching us also. Right. Because how often are we the disciples in this story? How often have we seen God provide for us? And yet either we forget or we think this time it's too big, it's too important, it's too uh, out of reach of what God could do for us. And, and so we freak out about it. We, we don't have any bread. What's going on here? And yet God is saying, man, I've given you sign after sign after sign. And, and, and the disciples here, they just don't get it. They're trying they're, they're working on their faith, but it's just not working for them. But they're very, they're very much stuck in this literal, physical world. Bread. Right? There's, there's bread. We don't have any bread, Jesus. We, we've got one loaf, and that's not going to be enough. Again, Jesus uses this as a teaching moment to talk about the leaven of the Pharisees. Leaven, you know, being the rising agent and, and the thing that would seep through um, the rest of uh, the dough. And, and he's cautioning them about this attitude, um, this attitude of wanting signs, of wanting proof that will, that will do it for us, um, rather than appreciating what God is already doing. Um, the attitude of unbelief, the attitude of, of questioning everything, of being self-righteous, of, of all of those things. And the disciples are like, yeah, but we don't have any bread, okay? Like, we... <laughs> We won't ask them. We right. won't ask Herod and we won't ask the Pharisees for their bread because they probably wouldn't give it to us. Right. right? I, I mean, but, but we still don't have bread. But we still don't have any and bread. And so they miss the <laughs> teaching. They miss what Jesus is trying to say here. And as comical as it may seem, it is sad, you know, in some ways because Jesus is trying to lead this group, the 12 disciples, this motley crew. He wants to teach them because they are going to go out and they are going to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to all the nations. And he knows this. Jesus knows this. And so the growth that they need to have, he is trying through these teaching moments, uh, you know, and so here, bread is all they could think about. And so Jesus is trying to it's encourage sometimes them. sometimes all to, I can think about. To not, yeah, me too. Sometimes <laughs> not become like the Pharisees or the scribes, and, and they're focused in just on the bread. So he shoots off a bunch of rapid-fire questions. Uh, pow, pow. I think it's nine of them. Uh, I believe it's nine. It's a good teaching te- technique, though. I mean, a lot it's, of questions. It's worked for lots of years. Picking up here in verse 17, it says, And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? No answers yet. When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. There's an answer they know. They remembered one <laughs> we, thing. We got those. They said, uh, and the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. Again, got those things. Where food is concerned, the disciples they are all know. over it. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? And that's where this passage ends. It's kind of a weird, abrupt ending. It is. Um, it's, it's very strange. And, um, and in, in a lot of ways, I guess we can look at this story and we can flip a couple pages further back in the Bible and we can know how the story ends. 
we can understand that we can move forward to that death and resurrection of Jesus as the sign, right? The sign for all generations that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Son of God. But being where we are, knowing what we know, we still have to ask ourselves the question, how might we be like these disciples? Where might we not be seeing things? Right. Well, I think, I think with the disciples, a lot of times they want to know the answers to certain questions. And when Dave and I were talking about this this week, uh, it's kind of like becoming a mom for the first time, right? There, there isn't really a good manual. There are books out there. There are manuals out there. But that's not how a mom learns to be a mom, right? Dave and I were talking about some of the ways that they do. It's, it's by watching their mom. How does she interact with me? How does she engage with me? How did she do it really, really good? And how did she maybe miss the mark in some ways? So you're looking at that relationship. Also, you can look at the relationships of those who have gone before you. We were always blessed enough to have families at our churches that their kids were just a little bit older than us. So we would always look to them like, how are you doing such a great job raising your kids? Those are questions that we would ask. And, and, and in all humility, they would come to us and they would say, hey, this is... A... So again, we were learning by looking at examples, by engaging with those examples. Well, that's the thing. You know, when, when we look, I think sometimes we would think that it'd be nice if Jesus was just a little more direct, right? If I'm a disciple in the boat, I'm probably, after this series of questions, going, so just, t- so tell us, right? Just... Just spit it out. Stop asking questions. Just lay it all out on the line. And yet, Jesus is very purposeful. He doesn't do anything by accident. And so, we have to assume that these questions, the way that he reveals himself, I mean, he, over the course of, of his ministry, he clearly revealed that he is God, right? That's why they killed him. But there are a lot of things that he leaves a little bit cryptic, right? A little bit he just finishes. Do you not yet understand? At the end of this passage, I'm going, I, I think so? I mean, I think I get he's talking about more than just bread. bread. You know? But I'm hungry. Wait, what? Um, I, I think he's talking about, you know, this warning against unbelief and, and being faithful, full of faith um, in the relationship with Jesus. But, um, but it's not always... It's not always that easy. Um, and again, it's like, it's like Jesus wants us to be in a relationship to figure all this stuff out. You know, we joke about there not being a manual for parenthood. It's a hugely important thing, right? There's not like a standardized manual for the world for something as important as that. As something, for something as important as figuring out God and life, there is a manual it's called the Bible, but it's history, it's poetry, it's prophecy, it's stories, it's, it's all of these different things as if, again, Jesus wants us to be in a relationship to be able to figure these things out, where you have to think you have to interact with people. You have to believe. Otherwise, this stuff isn't going to make sense. And so as you go through life, it, it, it is just foundationally that relationship 
that brings light into these different areas of life. And that's why we're in a community is because it takes, you know, just like being a mom or dad, it takes other people around you figuring things out together in this life as we move forward and try and figure out what a relationship with God actually looks like feet on the ground. Right. So we started out with a question. Sometimes we, or the statement, sometimes we just don't get it. Sometimes we just don't understand it. And here we see Jesus ending in that way. Do you not yet understand? And so as we grow, as, as, as the grace works, as those who are attending here uh, in DuPont, attending church, and we're trying to grow into the disciples that God has called us to be, we want to take the things that we've learned, allow them to affect our faith and our belief and our trust, so that the next time something comes around, we've been changed by the experiences that we've gone through. Not allowing the leaven of the Pharisees or the the Sadducees or the, the scribes, that unbelief to get in and to mess us up, but to grow to where our faith continues to get stronger and stronger. And so I think the answer to that last question, if posed to us, do you not yet understand? would hopefully be, not yet, but we're working on it. 